0: Excellent. Brilliant. Well, welcome. I'm just at that stage where I actually have to have my notes far enough away to be able to see them with my glasses on and be able to see you. I think people my age and older will know what I'm on about. (laughs) You young pups, you have no idea. But I think that's about the optimum distance. Great. So uh, my name's Mark. I'm part of the leadership team here at Jubilee, and it's my great privilege to speak to you who are downstairs, upstairs, and and tuning in online. We're collectively looking at a series that we've entitled, He Is, and it's about our God. And we're looking at what, what you might classically call the attributes of God, what God is. And this series is all about our knowledge of who God is. And it's as we understand more about who God is, it changes how we view ourselves, ourselves and how we live. So the attributes of God—they're important for us to know uh, how they're important for us to know how to how to be and how to live—and and it's it's one of those series where there aren't there aren't many messages we've given over the last few weeks where at, at the end of the message lots of people have come and responded and and um, and we've prayed for people at the front. It, it's more that we're getting a greater appreciation of who God is on a week-by-week basis, we're dwelling on His character, His attributes, the very nature of God, and and as we learn more about who God is, it talks to us about who we are, and it allows us to know more about how we should be and how we should live. And already in this series, we've talked about a number of the characteristics of God, And, and today I'm going to be talking about the fact that God is judge, God judges us, God judges all things, and, and that's, that's a big topic, but what we mustn't do is we mustn't take one of the attributes of God, one of the elements of who He is, and look at it in complete isolation, because God is a complete God. And already in this series, we've, we've talked about how God is incomparable. Without peer or equal, he's one who stands alone. But most of the, my imp- um, takeaway from this series so far is seeing Phil stand here and go, wow, he's just, wow. Uh, and and it's, it's with that kind of like concept of, this is our God. It's with that concept of, he is this on. Un- incomparable person that we look at the fact that he is judge I'll uh, I'll avoid making any foreseeable observations that we have 13 sessions where we're looking at aspects of who God is and and I only have one of them and I've managed to avoid picking up he is merciful he is good, he is love he is the prince of peace and, and today I've picked up he is judge but actually It's not a heavy topic. He is judge, but it's not a heavy topic. And let's get into this. So we're going to look at a number of different points related to the fact that God is judge. We're going to look at six points if you like following points. See if you can follow all six. Uh, But the first one is this. God is judge. He is judge. He is able to judge. It is appropriate for him to make judgments. If you think about it, you know you wouldn't want to be judged by someone who's not qualified to do so, or someone that doesn't have the status to apply a judgment to you. When we think about God, we often start by thinking about ourselves, and then we springboard to thinking about God, and that's that's helpful, and also dangerous at the same time because God is not us. God is not like us. When we say God is love, we start by thinking about how we love. And then we springboard to think about how God is love. The danger, but let's start with the advantage. The advantage is it lets us get a handle on things. It helps us with our own brains get a a, a kind of like feeling for something that is vast. And it allows us to, to grasp something. The danger is we take that human thinking and we apply the human thinking to God. So I'm going to look at a couple of ways in which perhaps we shouldn't be able to to judge each other and then we're going to look at God. But when we move from ourselves to God, it's important that we don't take with us any of the concepts of applying human characteristics to God. You know, sometimes you see job adverts and it says, uh, This job is is open to appropriately qualified candidates, people who are appropriately qualified for the role. You know, God is appropriately qualified to be judge. We judge things. That's that's part of the element of being a human, you know, one of the things we do. Uh, I feel perfectly able to to open my wardrobe in the morning, take out some clothes, put them on, and and judge what is an appropriate ensemble. Some Sundays, I do not arrive at the meeting in the first set of clothes that I have put on. I go down the stairs, and there is another judge (laughs) who says, are you really going to wear those clothes to the meeting? So I might feel... That I am appropriately qualified to make judgments. But one who is greater than me <laughs> highlights the limitations of my judgments and, and avoids me having to uh, have them highlighted by a larger audience. So there's an issue about being able to bring judgment, our ability to judge as humans. There's, there's an ability, but an ability with limitation. An ability that for many of us is limited in different areas, in different ways. But there's also, there's also something about the appropriateness to bring judgment. See, humans are judgmental. It's, it's, it's our very nature. Some people have very strong judgments on things that are quite frankly not things that should be judged on uh, formula one personalized car number plates some people will speak at great length about their judgment and, and there we phrases coming out of this like uh, phrase like you know saying who are you to judge me or I'm not going to let you judge me but I think some of those phrases they actually if you unpick them It is not that the recipient needs to reject being judged, it's that the judgment is is illegitimate, it's unfounded, it is in fact just a simple opinion of a person that is dressed up as a judgment. God not only has the ability to judge, but also God is in a position where he is appropriate to judge. In, in 1 Timothy 6.16, it says this. It says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. He is over all. He is in charge There is no greater authority or power. When we sang this morning, we exalt thee, what we're doing is we're saying, I, as I'm singing and I'm saying this, I am putting you number one in my life. I am putting you ahead of other things. But also, I am recognizing your place. I am recognizing, when I say I exalt thee, I am recognizing you're above everything. God simply is above everything. There is no greater authority or power. And therefore, he is uniquely qualified to preside in judgment over all. So God is judge, number one. Number two, God does judge against his own laws. So in the natural, if we go back into the human world, we have judges We have people who administer the law, who make judgments over other people in line with the written law, and judges can contribute to the formation of laws. But generally speaking, a judge is judging against a law that has been constructed by others. God is not just the administer of judgment, but God, who is the judge, is also the standard against which judgment is made. It says in Isaiah 33, it says this. It says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and it is he who will save us. See, in the UK, we have laws, and sometimes they get repealed. They're, they're on the statute book. It makes them the law of the land. But every now and again... Some of them get retired. They're no longer fit for purpose. Uh, Time has moved on, and that law about, I don't know, walking a pig through the center of town or something, that law is no longer relevant to modern society, and it gets repealed. Other times, a law has been made, and it's simply a bad law or a wrong law, and it turns out to be on the wrong side of history, and that law is repealed. God's law is perfect, God's law is dependable because God is not just judge but he is lawgiver so he is judging against himself, against his own standard and therefore his own standard does not change, does not need repealing, is not time limited uh, and is, is not unfounded but is founded perfectly. So number three, God does judge and will judge and he judges all. He judges without exception, without blind eye. He is consistent in his application of judgment and all humans are subject to this judgment. Now generally speaking, when it comes to myself, I'm pretty good at tackling issues, pretty good. I'm I'm not the best, I'm not the worst, but generally I'm pretty good at, at, at holding people to account. But sometimes it's just easier to let things slide. It's just easier to overlook things. It just... It's just someone's doing the wrong thing. In, in, in my job, I, I work in a sixth form college with teenagers and they regularly do the wrong things and uh, whatever boundaries are set, they, they have an, an inbuilt ability to try and push those boundaries uh, and most of the time, I'm pretty good at pulling people up if they're, I don't know. Uh, we've had a lot of COVID rules about wearing masks inside the buildings, and I'm pretty good at, at challenging people whose noses are sticking out, but sometimes I'm busy and going somewhere else, and I just think, oh, I, just, I just can't be bothered. Uh, I can't be bothered to apply judgment to that area. But in doing so, I'm introducing inequality. Anytime a blind eye is turned just to pragmatically make something simpler... Inequality is introduced. Different people are being judged differently for the same offence. God doesn't let anything slide. God doesn't turn a blind eye. When I started teaching, uh, which was now some time ago, uh, I, I was quite sporty. I still am quite sporty, but I'm not a footballer. And and I was asked to to referee um, a -a five-a-side indoor game of some some teenage lads playing football. And they were fairly rough lads. And I wasn't particularly confident in in bringing judgment. And uh, they're playing this game, and they're kind of self-regulating. And then a really quite bad tackle went in. And I thought, I'm meant to blow this whistle now, aren't I? But the game carried on playing. And they didn't seem to bother about it. And I thought... I don't really feel confident. If I, how, if, I, if I blow the whistle now, I have to trust them to stop playing. I have to get the ball back off them. I have to bring it back. I have to penalize it. I'll just let it carry on. It'll be all right. Well, five minutes later, there were literally ten lads who were just kicking each other to bits and occasionally kicking the ball. Because I had shied away from bringing judgment unrighteousness was allowed to to, um, just grow and grow and grow. There was no constraint. God is perfect. He is perfect. His standard is that no sin can be in His presence. He applies that judgment consistently without favor or discrimination to all. We are all, therefore, under the judgment of God. It says in Psalms 14, 2 to 3, The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. You know, it's as simple as this. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were tempted, sin came into the world and sin affected the whole world. There is no one who can stand in the presence of God. And God judges all people against his standard and therefore all people are under that judgment. In Ecclesiastes 12, 14, it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. But, number four, but he has made a way, even though we are all to be judged, and that judgment will not go well for us, because we, we will all be judged to be in sin, he has made a way for us to avoid the consequence of that judgment. On the cross, Jesus took the judgment for all sin. There's a, there's a writer called Nabil Qureshi who used to be a Muslim who, uh, who wrote a book called um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus and, and became a theologian. And, and he wrote this. He wrote this about God. He said, "...he offers mercy to everyone who has ever sinned whilst also demanding justice for every sin ever committed." And he does this by offering to bear the consequence for our own sins himself. The consequence of our sins is death. And God is willing to die on behalf of all his children. In Hebrews 7.27 it says, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all. When he, when he offered himself. Uh, I'll keep going. Acts 17, 31. For he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So there is judgment. It is applied consistently to all people. And that judgment should lead to condemnation. For the penalty is death. But there's one. And it, you know, as, as, uh, it's, let me read it again. Because I love it. He does this by offering to bear the consequence of our sins himself. The consequence needs to be paid. But we are released from having to pay, make that payment ourselves. Jesus makes that payment for us. So so that's the heart of how God is judge, how God judges. But let me move on to just two more points, which are about ourselves, really. You know, what does that do for us? Where do we stand in relation to that? So so number five is this. God is judge. We are not. You know, in James 4.12, it says... There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Uh, Jesus in, in Matthew 7 gives a kind of like a little uh, allegory, a little story that he's made up, but it's a story with a point. Uh, and he's just like really clear. He says this Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you offer to judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time you've got this huge plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, so let's just put that together. Let's, I think we've got time just to add a little extra layer of complexity this morning. You now, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and that's God. Uh, who are you to judge your neighbor? The answer is you're no one. You are not to judge other people. But in this parallel, parallel para, little story that Jesus wrote, uh, spoke, and then someone else wrote, in this particular passage, it does say this you've got this huge plank in your own eye and you're looking at a brother or a sister or another person uh, and there is a speck, there's a blemish, there's something in their eye obscuring their vision. Who are you with this big plank in your eye to deal with their problem? But then it says, here's what you do. You take the plank out of your own eye but then you do deal with their problem. So we are not to judge each other, but the church, the brothers and sisters, the brethren, those who together are following Christ, are in a process that is called sanctification. You know, we are all under the judgment of God, but when, when we say, Jesus, I want your death on the cross to cover my sin, and I want you to be my Lord, and literally, that is All anyone in this room needs to say to become a Christian. It is literally as simple as that. And you you can you can say it at the end with someone who'll come and pray with you at the front, or you can say it right now, or you can say it in your own heart at any time. But when you say that, you are released from judgment. Wall to wall, in your spirit, you are Holy Ghost, you are made perfect. No longer do you sit under judgment. You are no longer condemned. But you are free. You become a new creation. But that's right on the inside, the very core of your being, your spirit. You then kind of get saved from the inside out. Your soul, your mind, your emotions, your habits, your way of living start to line up to that new creation reality. And you become what we call sanctified. In other words, you become less sinful. You live a better life. You become more like Jesus. You will never have no sin. You can never work your way to God. But from the starting point of that transaction where you are transformed, you then day by day continue to be sanctified. It's those who are perfect are becoming perfected. And we, as a community of faith, are called to hold each other to account. Not to judge, but actually, yes, to take the speck out of each other's eyes. But not in a judgmental way, but in a helpful way to hold each other to account. But guess what? That is within the community of faith. There is no instruction, there's no even hint of applying that same level to those that are outside of the community of faith. People who are not Christians should think of Christians as people who love them, who show them the grace and mercy of God. They shouldn't, and the tragedy is that some do, they shouldn't perceive Christians as people who preside over them in judgment. We're not called to judge non-Christians, to judge people outside of the, the community of faith. We're called to show them God's love and God's mercy because you, me, we are not judge. And number six, this process of, of working out our salvation, don't ever forget, no matter how things are going, no matter how faithful you are, no matter how much progress you've made, no matter how much you look in the mirror and you think, I am just so different to how I used to be. Don't ever forget that you would be judged if it was not for Christ covering your sins. You would be judged and you would be found to have fallen short. We were under the judgment due to our sin. As believers, we're released from that to live this life of sanctification. However, we never become righteous under our own steam. We never have earned right standing with God. And no matter how faithful you are, no matter how much you're so different, if you are with someone who is the most despicable human being you could even think of, but just on their deathbed, on their deathbed, they repent. You and that person are in exactly the same category. There's no difference. There's no self-righteousness. Oh well, surely I deserve a better seat in heaven because you know I've, I, I've, given up those things of the flesh. I've been walking faithfully for 20, for 30 years. That hint of self-righteousness should never be allowed, should never be allowed to take root in our lives. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget that we would be under the judgment, the same judgment as any other person if it were not for the fact that we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing we can do to work ourselves into right standing with God. We want to become better people because we love him. We want to obey his commands because we love him. And as we do so, we are transformed. But we will never, we will never be worthy. We are worthy because he made us worthy. We can never, we can never work our way to a position where we would avoid judgment. And the judgment of God allows the initial intention of God to come about. God intended man and woman and himself to dwell together in the Garden of Eden. But sin came in and sin broke that relationship. The judgment of God is applied to deal with sin. And once it is dealt with, and we see a picture of this in Revelation 21, God's original intention is restored. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away so that draws us to a close this morning let me finish just by leading us in prayer and then we're going to go back into worship Lord we want to thank you as we sang already we exalt you we recognize that you preside over all things. And we understand that you are the judge of all, but you have made a way for us to avoid the consequence of judgment, the consequence that by right we should endure. God, we're just so thankful, we're so thankful to you You're a good God. Amen. Amen.